This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc Olivier Dumeblet. And I'm Yannick Mayen. And what's our, our topic for today, Yannick? Smart Home Buyer's Guide. Good, but before you start, I think you also have some follow-up. Yeah, so first I want to talk about this hot new Xbox One that's coming out. <laughs> the wow. Xbox One S All Digital Edition, or the Xbosade, as I like to call it. Uh, <laughs> what? Xbosade? Well, there are so many letters. If you put them all together, it's Xbox One S All Digital Edition. Xbosade. Everybody knows that. Wow, okay, sure. Yep. Uh, so if you haven't heard the rumors, Microsoft is rumored to be announcing at least two, but maybe even three new Xboxes this year at E3. Uh, it's sort of confusing because I've seen like four different code names for different Xboxes. So I don't know if they changed code names because one of them got leaked or something along the way, but at least two are definitely confirmed to be coming this year. But there might be three, there might be four. And the one that leaked uh, this week was the discless Xbox One, which is fully reliant on digital games. And this hmm. could slash the price of the Xbox One S by almost $100 by removing the wow. Blu-ray drive entirely. Um, this made me think of two things that were pretty interesting. The first is the PSP Go. Uh, so if you remember back in the day, uh, there was the PSP, which took these little mini disc-like discs called UMDs, and then they released the PSP Go, which was an all-digital PSP. And of course, gamers cried and hated it. Well, at the at the time anyway, because now their entire existing game library was worthless if they wanted to get a PSP Go. But of course... Many years later, uh, people realized that actually having your entire library be digital is pretty cool. And also because the PSP is one of the more hackable handhelds out there, it is a wonderful emulation system. And on top of that, uh, it is also the only PSP with which you can uh, pair a DualShock 3 controller. So you can actually use it as a micro console plugged into a TV and get high quality video out because the PlayStation TV, unfortunately, did not have that. Uh, so cool system. Uh, so Xbox One S all digital edition, very reminiscent of the PSP Go, but it's also very reminiscent of the original plan for the Xbox One that all the gamers were freaking out about, which was to be entirely digital and for discs to effectively be vouchers for digital licenses of games and you could loan games digitally from one person to the other so all digital edition xbox one s is really sort of like a glimpse into what could have been if gamers hadn't had a hissy fit about digital games early in the xbox one uh thing and of course apparently gamestop is freaking out that this system might exist so that's also kind of funny this kind of reminds me of my own like kind of personal usage of Blu-ray disc, to be honest. Like usually, I don't think I've talked. About, I think I thought it with. Yes, I think I've talked about my opinion of physical video games during the our 2018 Game of the Year episode, which is simple as as it is as simple as saying I am a cheap bastard. So if a game that I want to play is cheaper on physical, I just buy it physical, and that's it. So if they kind of like remove this physical, but like. If the, the games that you buy in store just become like coupon codes, I wouldn't mind, to be honest. If the reseller wants to sell it the coupon code for cheaper than what either Sony or Microsoft wants or the the game publisher wants to sell it on the Sony or Microsoft store, I don't mind. That's like, like that to me, I want to keep. And that's it. I don't really buy used games. I know uh, like a GameStop and AB Games here in Canada are big like used video game store nowadays because that's where they make a lot of profit. But no, I just want a different store just to make sure that if somebody wants to discount games that another store that I want to do, I just want that kind of that competition to stay around. 
uh, whether it is still on physical disc or just coupon code. Although most of the time these days, the PlayStation store sales are ridiculous and undercut physical copies a lot every week. But true, I, but like occasionally remind... you find a game yes. physically that is cheaper. But I, I, it has to be quite rare, honestly. Yeah, Call of Duty Black Ops Four. I got it at Costco for super cheap, like half half price off during the Chris, uh, during the Black Friday season. That's last true. Fall, so that was quite good for this game. Hmm. Okay, my next follow-up is on episode 106, which was Luc Olivier's experience with Swift, uh, name, mainly because we talked about ABI stability and the advantages, advantages that this would bring to Swift. So please excuse me, non-programmers, but I'm going to speak complete gobbledygook for the next five minutes. <laughs> uh, there has been increased discourse about uh, ABI stability in the last few weeks amongst iOS developers because iOS 12.2 beta season continues. And... Uh, ABI stability is good, but unfortunately, one thing we did not mention on the show is that module stability is still in development. And that is true. I saw that after the show. That's true. Yep. So what this means is that an app built against Swift Swift 5 will continue to work in the future when the OS ships with a newer Swift 5.1 or 6.0 standard library, provided that the methods that it calls still exist and have compatible signature and all that stuff. However, module definitions for binary libraries are still dependent on the compiler that they were built against. Ta-da! So what this actually means concretely for developers is that both the app developer and the third-party libraries that the app depend on need to have been built using the same version of the compiler. Otherwise, you're still screwed. Uh, so I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the actual article on the Swift blog that is about that. And I'm also going to include a link to another article, which is from... Marcel Weyer, uh, he is the author of iOS and macOS performance tuning, uh, which is a book. And he tries to make the case that even with ABI stability and potentially even module stability later, uh, Swift is less than ideal language for binary libraries and reusable components, primarily because Objective-C was based around the concept of software integrated circuits. So this is where you see the datedness of Objective-C because this shit was invented in the 1980s <laughs> alongside the Smalltalk <laughs> stuff. Uh, basically what software ICs were, were binary frameworks that could easily be integrated into applications. And a lot of the choices that were made, uh, around the dynamism of Objective-C, NS bundle, and the entire message passing system were made intentionally to facilitate seamless use of reusable binary components against the stable binary interface. Uh, and if you compare with more static languages like C++, which have very dubious binary compatibility, you need to rely on middleware like COM, which sucks for having used it on Windows, uh, to interact with libraries built on different versions of compilers. So really, you have to stop thinking of Objective-C as just an object-oriented language. It also has like this entire module interoperability baked into the core of the language so much that, so that it becomes invisible to the developer. And this entire part of the Objective-C philosophy appears to have been completely ignored or deprioritized when Swift was designed. Uh, so if this sounds interesting to you, definitely go read Marcel's article because I found it very interesting, although it is hard to sort of summarize all of his points into something that actually makes sense for like a three-minute segment on a podcast. So that is it for my follow-up. Good. Let's go with your topic. All right. So back in January, uh, my dad came over and asked me for some help on how to get into home automation. Uh, it's really funny because it's 
arguably easier now than ever to get started in home automation, but there are a lot of things to consider that aren't immediately obvious to newcomers on the scene. So this episode is going to be a guide to the trade-offs to consider when buying into one or many of the smart home ecosystems with recommendations for devices that you can purchase to get off the ground. Uh, obviously, device availability can vary wildly from one country to another based on regulatory approval or wall outlets just being different. Uh, so if the devices that I recommend aren't available in your area, hopefully the episode will still be useful to you in helping you make your own choices. I want to talk a little bit about ecosystems because, believe it or not, there is not just a single ecosystem to consider. You sort of have two to consider when you're buying into a new smart home system. You have assistant ecosystems and you have low power wireless protocols. And these things don't really have much to do with each other, but you need to choose one of each, probably. Uh, I mean, the assistant ecosystem is arguably not really required. Sometimes the uh, devices are entirely self-sufficient with their own apps. But if you're excited about home automation in 2019, you're probably excited about using voice assistants, and therefore you're probably going to want to consider an assistant ecosystem. So the three assistant ecosystems, you should not be surprised by these, are Alexa, uh, Siri and or HomeKit, depending on how you consider it, and Google Assistant and or Home. Uh, so I'm going to run through all three of these. So Alexa is interesting. It has a Wild West approach to device support. Uh, there are like two types of skills that you can create as a developer to have your device be supported by Alexa. There are natively supported device types for which you can write smart home skills, which will integrate it into the smart home section of the Alexa app and let you do cool home automation stuff within the app. Or you can use regular skills for oddball devices. For example, my Roomba. My Roomba is not a device category that is supported natively by Alexa. And therefore, you need to uh, address it specifically like it was another weird custom skill. Uh, and the smart home section of the app knows nothing about my Roomba because to it, it's just a list of verbs in the sky. Before buying anything, make sure to check the Alexa skills directory in your region to ensure that the skill is available. Because as we've covered numerous times <laughs> on the podcast, in some cases, skill makers need to explicitly provide support for each language and region permutation. So just because a product advertises on the box that it is Alexa compatible doesn't mean shit. Because if it's not available for the language or region you are using, it's probably not going to work. I think it's my time... It's my time to ask you if uh, Apple Music is not available in Canada. It is not. There are a uh... bunch of really weird, shitty music services which are now available in Canada now. But Apple Music is still not in the list, which is unfortunate. Mm. Uh, one of the nice things about the Alexa ecosystem is that there is a wide variety of compatible devices available at a large range of price points. From $70... Uh, these are Canadian prices. $70 to $300. Um, I assume it's probably something like $40 to $250 if you're in the U.S. One of these devices is the Amazon Echo Plus, which can be used as a Zigbee hub, which can be appealing if you are starting from zero. And we will talk more about this in the next section where we talk about weird hubs uh, if you need one of those. And it can be incredibly tempting for heavy Amazon users, as of all of the assistants, this is the only one that allows you to order things with your voice, and that can be incredibly handy. All right, next up is Siri and HomeKit. I do know that you, Lika, if you have more experience with Siri and HomeKit, kind of. 
Yeah, kind of. I think I think the best description is uh, kind of, um, mainly through a. Uh, on bridge yes on bridge uh but i haven't reinstalled my mac since last summer so yeah i think i think i've mentioned that a couple of times in this podcast that this was uh i had my mac but that was that was one of the ratings i was still doing on my desktop computer and then when we had to repaint uh my office um i kind of left it in its box so now i don't use it too much which means i don't have uh, HomeKit support anymore with regards to devices that can interact with HomeKit, Apple is more interested in HomePod as a premium speaker than it is as in HomePod as a waypoint for Siri. What I mean by that is that HomePods are expensive and they don't seem to be interested, at least right now, to have a cheap option to interact with Siri other than a HomePod, let's say. Siri functionality becomes more limited on the HomePod if the phone that is bound to the HomePod is not within range of it. And this is something that does not touch Google Assistant and uh, Alexa because a lot more of the Siri functionality is tied to your phone right now on HomePod, which is unfortunate. However, if you don't have a HomePod, HomeKit remains usable over the iPhone, the iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and the Mac, even if you don't have a HomePod. But the usual Siri caveats apply with regards to reliability and all that stuff. An interesting thing to note is that even if you are not interested in HomeKit right now, if you think that someday you might be interested in using HomeKit, you should go out of your way to buy things that are compatible with HomeKit. While Apple has recently loosened their control over HomeKit hardware and patches, adding HomeKit to devices that didn't launch with it are now being released. There is no guarantee that those patches will ever come to any devices that are not HomeKit compatible right now. Uh, so don't buy things expecting they will eventually come. I remember in the early days of HomeKit, before anybody knew anything about it, there were companies that were promising that their devices were going to get patches. And then they found out that, at least at the time, they needed a special hardware chip on their device to actually be able to release a HomeKit device. And then they were like, well, shit, we can't release patches. This is no longer the case, but it doesn't mean that it will eventually get a HomeKit patch. You should just play it safe and buy things that are compatible with HomeKit now if you think you will ever be uh, interested in HomeKit. HomeBridge is a thing that exists. However, I don't think it's wise to depend on it unless you're a tinkerer at heart. I mean, like, yes, if you have a computer that you can put in a corner and install HomeBridge on and leave it running and never touch it ever again, like, it should keep working. But, like, your mileage may vary. Yeah, I think I think I'm the perfect example for this. Yeah. One of the things that we do touch a lot about, uh, uh, touch a lot on here on the show is Siri has the richest multi-language support of all of these uh, assistants. Um, of course, it has to not be a deal breaker that the narrower narrower scope of what Siri can do, uh, it has to be a non-issue for you. And I, I didn't think I was going to say this, but it is maybe super appealing to you. Siri and HomeKit have the richest out-of-the-box automation functionality via both the Home app and shortcuts. Um, I do really like Alexa routines. However, there's definitely less powerful stuff in routines than there is in HomeKit right now. The other point about Siri that I would like to mention is it felt to me that uh, in my Razer Siri when I was on HomeKit, it was quite good, to be honest. It was like responsive, fast to react. Uh, I know that it 
some of it it was because it was proxied like a lot of the onkit stuff is proxied through an apple tv if you have it at home or you can define an ios device to kind of be the, the, the proxy for a lot of the ios uh, the omkit components you have in your house but i was quite surprised in most cases that uh, siri reacted quite quickly i think the one thing that uh, i have here at home which is uh kind of the i don't know how to I don't know what's there, the Philips U name that they gave it to, but it's kind of a, like a round puck, which has four buttons, and it used the, the Zigbee signal to just like triggers. Uh, it's scenes. the Hue tap switch. That's a tap, yes, that's a tap switch. And that one, through OMKit, through OMBridge, uh, was quite slow to react, but that was the only thing. It was like really like, if I say like, the best example is before going to bed a couple of months back, I would be able to, I would be able to say like, goodnight Siri in French, and it would just like, Instantly, once once I am done saying good night, uh, Siri would just like the, all the lights would would be turned off. And yes, Siri was a bit annoying sometimes because she would reply like good night. But in general, like you, like it was quite reactive instantly for those, and that was quite surprising. Yep, what I've heard from most HomePod users is that HomeKit is the most reliable feature via Siri right now. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, that I wouldn't be surprised because that would be my uh, my experience. The, usually, the main issue when I had a problem was because the iMac was just down or the like the on bridge. I got I got a couple of, maybe two or three times in a couple of months where on bridge crashed, so I had to just like kill the terminal, reboot it, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the other e- uh, assistant ecosystem is Google Assistant and Google Home. Um. It's a very similar approach to Alexa, so I'm not going to go through all of the points that I said through Alexa, but you can pretty much search and replace Alexa and with Google, and it stays pretty much true. However, the price range for compatible devices is wider. Uh, in Canadian dollars, it's $79 to $500. Uh, the main reason being the Google Home Max, which is sort of the HomePod competitor. Uh, mm. So there you go. Uh, I I have heard nice things about the Google Home Hub, which is sort of this like Amazon Echo Show e little tablet thing you can put in your kitchen. However, that is not available in Canada, so can't say much about it. All right, next up, I want to talk about low power wireless protocols. Why are we talking about this? Uh, well, a lot of things you might see in the smart home slash Internet of Things business might include hubs and you might be wondering what is this hub used for which one should i choose do i need multiple of these if i have different products so i'm just going to try to demystify all this basically these hubs generally act as a bridge between a low power power internet of things wireless protocol and a regular wireless lan like your wi-fi mostly this applies to smaller uh, accessories like light bulbs although Nothing actually prevents other peripherals like plugs or thermostats from using those protocols. And as Lucadivier said, things like the Hue tap switch can use these protocols. I think I think all the switches from you are using the, the are used through the pitch. Yeah, I believe so. So the two big protocols right now are Zigbee and Z-Wave. Uh, some examples of some Zigbee hubs are the Philips Hue hub, the IKEA Trodfree bridge and the amazon echo plus z-wave is kind of confusing to me because i mean everybody brings it up as an industry standard but then when you go try to actually find devices that support it i couldn't find any like i i found hubs that use it uh so the samsung smart things bridge does both zigbee and z-wave and so does the wink bridge wink is sort of this company that tries to make a universal 
hub that works with as many wireless protocols as possible. But I wasn't actually able to find like an actual like respectable company that made a, a Z-Wave only hub that I could use as an example. So I don't know. Support seems to be kind of weird. So obviously I'm going to push more towards the Zigbee uh, <laughs> camp of things because I could actually find devices that I could use as examples. I do know that GE has smart lighting, which is entirely Z-Wave for the bulbs, but I don't know what you would actually use as the hub in this scenario. Maybe GE has their own hub. The reason I bring this up is uh, not only the protocol, but also your choice of hub can matter. So choose wisely. And this is going to be super stressful for people. Um, but here are examples of what I mean. So first thing is not all hubs can be automated with if this, then that. If you're interested in doing cool if this, then that automations, uh, you're probably going to want to gravitate toward the Philips Hue bridge because the IKEA trod free one does not have integration and the Echo Plus does not either. Could you do it through the Amazon system though for the IKEA one? Because I think it supports Alexa. I'm confused. What are... <laughs> I'm but, talking um... about the hubs specifically. Oh, but you, but you're talking about like the uh, IFTTT support directly through the hub or it needs to use this? It's like uh, you can't have like if the stock price changes on this thing, then turn oh, my light off. yeah, that's true. Philips does that. Ah, okay, I see what you mean. I, I thought you... Okay, no, I, I see why I was confused, but that's why my comment was a bit weird. But I thought most of them was doing that for IFTTT, but still through the kind of... Uh, big uh, home automation platform like Alexa or Google Home or HomeKit. Well, so this is the interesting thing is, uh, at least for Alexa, I'm not sure about Google, uh, you can't actually automate things from outside Alexa. So what I mean by that is you can't, like you can log into your Alexa account with an IFTTT, but you can only trigger things using Alexa. You can't have things trigger on Alexa because of events that come from IFTTT. So it's one-sided. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Amazon can do it to IFTTT, but if IFTTT wants to do something with the Amazon devices, too bad. Yes. And again, I should also clarify that IFTTT is one of those like stupid skills <laughs> that is only available in the US. There are actual good reasons why it's only available in the US, which is it uses APIs that were never available in other regions, but it still sucks. Uh, so not all hubs can be automated by IFTTT. And then the next thing is there is a wide range of apps and scripts that are built against the Philips Hue API. And what is important for the Philips Hue API is that you have a Philips Hue hub. If you use Philips Hue bulbs with another hub, it won't work because you need a Hue account, which talks to your Hue bridge. So it, there are a bunch of little caveats like this that you do need to take into consideration if you are super interested in specifically cloud automation but if you're only uh interested in doing things within your home network for example you should be fine with pretty much anything you buy here okay i want to have a brief segment to talk about buying for longevity uh this is something that came up recently because people often find cheap alternatives on the internet and I would recommend to stay away from them. Buy from trusted brands and try to reduce reliance on software if possible. Uh, so why the trusted brands? Well, it reduces the likelihood of support for your smart home devices being dropped because somebody went out of business or they decided to pivot or they just got lazy and stopped updating their software. Which that could happen even by with uh, big brands. Yes, definitely. 
that's why I sort of have the reduced reliance on software part as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you also don't necessarily want every smart home device in your home to suddenly become part of a botnet that randomly <laughs> shows up on the internet because the company who wrote the software was an incompetent company that did stuff really cheap. Uh, and this is not a just a joke. It's also true. Uh, there were a number of these botnets uh, leading up to the election in 2016. So yeah, lesser known brands may definitely be cheaper to buy in the short term, but if your support for those devices is abandoned and all of your smart home stuff needs to be replaced a few years later, you might actually regret the decision and think that you should have gone with a more respectable brand. The part about re reducing your reliance on software is that if your devices require a dedicated app to be set up as part of your smart home, that increases the likelihood of them eventually turning into a paperweight. So... Try to reduce your reliance on apps. And this is kind of the thought process that led me to choose the Amazon Echo Plus as my Zigbee hub. Because like the justification is Amazon isn't going anywhere anytime soon. New devices on the Echo Plus can be discovered entirely via voice. So I don't need the Alexa app to exist. Although I doubt that it's going anywhere because Alexa is a pretty big pillar of Amazon strategy going forward. And with everything I've said in the previous section... It's definitely less flexible of a choice as a hub for my devices, but the cost of switching is low enough that if I ever need to resort to that, it seems like the safest pick. Uh, and like all of my devices that this is working with is Zigbee, so if I just switch to a Zigbee hub and like seconds later I'm back up and running. We're going to run through uh, the categories of devices. And I will give a few recommendations for each. Uh, and of course, we're going to start with light bulbs. So light bulbs are useful for people who move often or don't want to tear open the walls for switches. Um, your major limitation with these light bulbs is going to be that your wall switches are going to effectively become useless because they're always going to be on and you're going to be controlling them with your devices, whether it be with your voice assistant or with some app on your phone. Uh, the obvious choice for light bulbs is going to be Philips Hue. And the obvious choice is because it's sort of the industry standard. It's the biggest player. It is very widely supported. It has high reliability. A lot of the cheaper bulbs you'll find on the internet for smart home stuff aren't very bright, but I find the Philips Hue to get quite bright, which is very good. And they have an extremely huge range of available products for every need, whether it be indoor bulbs, outdoor bulbs, LED strips, lamps, you name it. They are somewhat expensive, but I feel that they are definitely worth their price in quality. And this is why I recommend them. There is a reason they are the number one, so you should definitely go with them. Uh, you also have Hue bulbs, right? Yes, I bought in Samaria, I would say, I think two, three, no, three years ago even. Uh, let me think. I've, we will be starting the third year in this apartment. Yeah, I'm even, even like four years that I've got my set. So I have a starter kit, which is three, like, I would say like Canadian normal size for bulbs. I don't know if it's the same size. I would say it's the same size in uh, US too. So in like North American, like typical, like wall, like light socket size. I forgot the, the, the letter for it, but it's uh, the three bulbs plus the bridge. I have the round bridge. And if you are already a user of Philips Hue, it means I have the old bridge that is not compatible with HomeKit, sadly. At that point, I was like, I, 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 I will say the exact same thing that you said. It is the best quality from what I've seen, from what I've heard. 
I was quite tempted one day to switch to the IKEA one to get HomeKit support. And it seems that the bulb on the IKEA side was a bit cheaper with the same quality. I don't have like real experience with them because I didn't buy it. But the main issue I have with the Philips U one, which seems they are the best at it, but like I, I understand you say that they're bright, but to me sometimes they feel that they are not bright enough uh, compared to just normal uh, LED lights or just like incandescent, uh, not incandescent, but uh, fluorescent lights that they were replacing before. Are yours the white ones or the ambient ones? The white one or the white one, the only white is the ambient with colors or that's the one with just like different shades of white? Am- ambient is the one that you can control the color temperature of the white light. Whereas yeah. the just white is sort of this like no, I regular have the colorful one. Okay, so I have the third one, or they, they I think they added white and uh, ambience recently in the past few years, and they started with the one that have the full range of an LED light, so you have yeah, full yeah. range of colors, and I've done, and those are around like eight hundred lumen, which is not small, but if you compare it with other light bulb, like just dumb light bulbs. Eh, you can like uh, pay like fifteen dollars to get like brighter light bulbs. Um, so in some cases, like we, it, it also being it was solved by just buying more lamps. Uh, but in the end, I didn't buy more light bulbs because uh, what I've realized is sometimes we buy a lot of lamps at IKEA, and the sockets are not different, but uh, they're like the smaller bulb socket, and I just end up like buying the bulbs at IKEA directly. They're dumb bulbs, so that. <laughs> I just recall my my last trip when we bought a lamp at IKEA. I was about to buy a lamp and buy all the replacement for the small bulbs for that lamp, plus the three bulbs I already have. It was, it was about to be an expensive uh, IKEA trip, and I just ended up buying the lamp in the end. I should point out that like I try to keep my apartment very dark to begin with, so maybe what I consider to be very bright is not so bright if you actually like light in your apartment. Yeah, which, which is my caveat. case. Yes, Tony likes to uh, likes to say that I always like leave the light on all the time. Uh, sometimes I really need bright light. Mm. But I, I do think these have gotten better with regards to brightness with the newer generation bulbs. Uh, hmm. I think I have Gen 4 bulbs or whatever. Um, I know there are multiple generations of the bulbs. And I, I know I was r- relatively impressed, like, for smart lights, how bright they were relative to the competition. Uh, so you mentioned the other option that I'm going to bring up for light bulbs, which is IKEA Triad Free. Uh, these are a range of low-cost Zigbee bulbs from IKEA. Oh, I should have pointed out, Philips Hue uh, bulbs should all be Zigbee because their hub is Zigbee. So there you go. Uh, so this does mean that... Aren't they Zigbee Plus a bit? It's kind of like they use Zigbee, but they also have some proprietary stuff on top of the Zigbee to make I, it... I believe that's like the switches and stuff. Mm, okay, okay. Um, so yeah. So uh, what this means is if you need lower cost bulbs for certain rooms of your house, uh, you can actually just mix and match. You can have like fancier Philips Hue bulbs in certain rooms and then cheaper IKEA bulbs in other places and they were, will all interoperate uh, just um, fine. I think it was a year after I bought my set, there was a big controversy because Philips Hue in the bridge update removed support for third-party Zigbee hardware in their bridge. And of course, people like rage quitted then like really yell at uh, Philips uh, on the internet and they kind of reverse course but 
Phillips kind of I, I think at this point it's not even owned we say Phillips U but I don't think it's even owned by Phillips anymore or it's still the Phillips name but it's another company that has it I have to look into this I remember seeing this something but uh, I my original point was to say that this company in the past decided that they want to be like full proprietary and kind of broke their Zigbee bridge on purpose to make them only compatible with U bulbs and they reverted the discussion. So I, I will take that recommendation with a grain of salt from that previous experience that a lot of consumers that already have third party Zigbee bulbs was kind of getting screwed by Philips U. Okay. Well, I'm going to add the asterisk to the asterisk to say, like, this is true if you buy a, a Philips Hue uh, hub. If you use an alternative Zigbee hub, like, the Hue bulbs are still Zigbee, so they'll still work, and they'll still interrupt right. with the trud free. Um, so, yeah, the, the low-cost options for bulbs are between $10 and $30, uh, and the main limitation with the trud free line is that they are only available in white or ambient. There are no color bulbs. Uh, for a brief period of time, I believe there might have been color bulbs, but only available in the U.S., but it is hard to tell. Um, as far as I'm concerned, here in Canada, we only have white and ambience, so I can only confirm that these are available here. So yeah, that's it for light bulbs. Next up, smart plugs. So why would you use smart plugs? Because maybe you have lamps or other gadgets and appliances that you would like to automate. Oh, just before you continue, I just quickly search, and I think my bulbs are 600 lumens and not 800. I think yours might be 800 lumens. That's possible. Because they talk about that in their page about the old uh, bulbs. I don't have the box in front of me, but I think they go up to 1,000 now. Yeah, I think so. But uh, for the 1,000 one, you don't have bulbs. You need to buy kind of their some of their lamps itself. Mm. There are maybe the, the, those stripes or the big kind of... Uh, like cone-shaped lamp that they have, that I think this one is a thousand. I maybe it's not Hue, but I do think that Tradfree does have thousand lumen bulbs, though. Ooh, maybe I should look into that then. Research for the next episode. <laughs> All right, <laughs> you so, mean spend for the next episode? <laughs> yeah, it, these kinds of episodes are probably dangerous because they'll make people spend a bunch of money, yeah. <laughs> including the hosts. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the industry standard or the most recommended smart plug is the Belkin Wemo Mini. Uh, it's inexpensive. It has no hub required because it talks directly to the Wi-Fi network and it is supported by all three assistant ecosystems. So that's cool. Um, however, there is a lower friction option. <laughs> so the Belkin Wemo, uh, smart plug you're going to need to download the wemo app personally i am not a fan of the wemo app i think it is gross and it is not updated as often as it should be um and if you really just want minimum setup the amazon smart plug is great if you have an alexa device because it was made specifically to integrate with it i think it might even ship with your account pre-configured on it so you don't even have to do that uh, it requires literally zero configuration. It works directly over Wi-Fi because as far as I know, you don't need an Echo Plus or a Zigbee hub in your system for it to work. But obviously, it's not going to work with Google Assistant and HomeKit. But if you want, like, literally the least amount of trouble, like, that is the device for you. Uh, because we mentioned it in the light bulb section, IKEA Tradfree does also offer a smart plug. However, it is weirdly limited. So buyer beware. So it is one of the rare Zigbee smart plugs on the market. So that means it is compatible with the Echo Plus and other Zigbee hubs. However, if you have a trod-free hub, 
Trodfrey only knows how to expose light bulbs to uh, HomeKit, not oh, no. smart plugs. So you can't actually interact with your smart plugs via HomeKit. So don't buy those if you're interested in HomeKit, even if the Trodfrey hub supports HomeKit. Weird shit like this, like, please, yeah, IKEA, not... you should know better. But yeah, yeah. there I'm you go. Su- I'm not surprised, but it's sad. I guess I should also mention that I I don't use any of these three. Uh, I use a TP-Link, uh, which is basically the equivalent to the Wemo uh, plug. Uh, I'll put the exact uh, model number in the show notes. Um, and the reason I use it is because I am picky when it comes to smart home applications. And at the time, I was also going to have a TP-Link router. So I just wanted to consolidate everything into a single app. Uh, and I actually do quite like the TP-Link Casa app. Uh, so I just went with that. Unfortunately, the limitation there is it does not work with HomeKit. So you're, if you're interested in HomeKit, you can't get that. But if you're only interested in Alexa and the Wemo app is either gross to you or the Wemo uh, plug is just not available because it seems to sell out quite often, uh, that might be an alternative that is worth looking into. Okay, so last but not least in our categories of devices, smart switches. So this is something I knew basically zero about until my dad asked me, yeah, but what about smart switches? So then I did a little bit of research uh, and I came up with like three options that are uh, sort of here. Um, Smart switches allow you to continue using existing bulbs and home lighting infrastructure while exposing them to smart home devices for control and automation. So let's start with what you get if you're rich. <laughs> okay. The most expensive but best regarded option is the Lutron Cassetta lighting system. It is supported by all three assistants, HomeKit Alexa and Google. It uses its own proprietary wireless protocol because of course it does. So yeah, you will Lutron. You will need to buy a separate hub for it. Uh Lutron was one of the first companies to make their uh lights and switches controllable via iOS in the entire lighting industry. So they have been around since I think iOS 2 or 3. Uh, so they have been like battle tested, right? They, 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 if I recall correctly, they are, yeah, they are doing a lot of like in wall sensor. They're doing light dim and they have shades. Like they're in the full like kind of home automation for years. Yes, definitely. Like they, they were an OG player. Um, I think they were in the app store for the iPad day one. Uh, so they are like one of these companies that take this shit very seriously. And if you want like the an expensive but incredibly well integrated system, I have never heard anyone who owns one of these regret their purchase. So hmm. there you go. And I I've heard people like that I know personally, but also people that I know from podcasts, like a huge range of people. Everyone who has gotten this have loved it. So something worth considering if you are like really interested in investing in a system uh if you're sort of a normal person who doesn't have a ton of disposable income uh we do have options for you so sort of the mid-range if you want a dimmer uh because some people want switches and some people want dimmers but if you want a dimmer the wemo dimmer is currently like the most well-regarded in the business uh it is also supported by all three uh home assistants which is great and then the budget option, which is the one that my parents have, is the TP-Link light switch. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact model number, but I'll get back to you with that in the show notes. As I mentioned, it's only an on-off switch. It uses the Casa app, which is more pleasing than the Wemo app. But it's unfortunately not supported by HomeKit, as far as I can tell, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, so 
I'm not sure what the good budget option, if you absolutely want HomeKit, is going to be. Hmm. I, it seems to me when I looked at those that, uh, for me, like, if you don't want to, like, change a lot of your lighting, that the switches are your best bet. Because they use the current electric wire you have in the wall and you just replace one thing. And if you have, like, 10 lights on the same switch, you just need to send switch, swap the switch, and then you end up with... 10 lights for the price of like just one switch, which is, I think, the price of maybe two or three bulbs looking at it here. Even the, yeah, they're like, like 30 to $50. So, hmm. Yeah. Like one, one thing to consider is that, um, in my apartment, I have like two places where I have sort of like split, split, like I don't know how to call these, but like one bulb points to the left and one points to the right. Mm hmm. And, like, I have one switch for that. But if I put hue bulbs in those places, I have to control each of them individually, which means I sort of have to, like, create groups. But then I can't say, like, turn on kitchen because now there's, like, can't have nested groups. And it gets, like, complicated to actually manage the pair together. Um, and there are hacks and workarounds to get around it. Like, I could use routines to do that. Um, but if you had just one switch that replaced your switch on the wall. Uh, like, I mean, like, unfortunately, it wouldn't be a perfect solution in my case since I actually want those lights to be colored in my case. Um, but if I was only interested in controlling them via my voice assistant, like, that would be a good fix instead of having to buy, like, two $50 Hue bulbs. Of course, it won't magically add color to my existing cheap light bulbs. True, true, true. So that is actually all I had for um, our buyer's guide. I think the thought process is almost more important than the actual device recommendations. You sort of need to be able to know what the trade-offs of each of these decisions are so that you can make an informed decision as to what is good for your personal uh, situation. Like, it's entirely possible that, like, we don't know much about Google Assistant at home because, like, we're not Android users uh, and we don't really... I mean, I I am not very invested in the Google ecosystem anymore. Pretty much only use Gmail and YouTube, and I've signed out of all the rest of it. So, like, I, I wanted to make sure that everybody had the information they needed to make informed decisions, and hopefully this episode has helped you in some way. Uh, do you think I've left out anything or have anything to add? I think the last thing, too, is... Uh, because right now I made the mistake of going to apple.com slash C slash omkit. And I guess if you're in the US, you just do apple.com slash omkit. And on that page, and I'm sure Google and Apple, Amazon, excuse me, have this similar pages is really compare the type of accessory. Like before looking at which platform you want to do, like start documenting what do you want to automate? Is that only the lights? Is that really? Uh, you have maybe like fans that you have that you want to turn it on and off like uh, from far away. Do you have, do you want to have a smart lock? Like really inventory what you want to automate and then look which platform offers the best uh, tools for you to do that. Because like Anik mentioned, a lot of the nice solution, you, they might be, they might force you to use one automation platform compared to the other maybe like for you if it's an you're an uh, apple household you might be easier to use HomeKit, but you use the amazon echo and you really like the echo so maybe you'd be tempted to go on the amazon side so before trying to 
spend money, I would strongly invite you to go to those pages uh, and look at what's available hardware-wise. Because you don't want to like already commit yourself with, let's say, your Philips Hue, which is uh, HomeKit compatible, and then realize, oh crap, I want something, but it's not only on the Amazon side. So, but if you leave the HomeKit, you might have some like Home automation inside the Home.app that you aren't. It is not available, and like so, all of this is say is make sure that you look at all of those uh, accessories and also functionality before committing to one platform because it could be a costly mistake. Yep. The other thing I do want to point out, which you just reminded me of this, is like the one you need to be the most picky about is really HomeKit because less stuff supports HomeKit, but HomeKit is very versatile. However, because uh, Alexa and Google Assistant are pretty much the Wild West, like pretty much anything you buy will definitely, well, except for the region stuff I mentioned, Almost anything you buy will work on Alexa or Google Assistant. Therefore, you don't need to worry about it as much. Like You will find a way to actually get it to work there if you eventually want to get that to work. And the other thing is like there are multiple levels of how you can automate these things. Like You can automate things in the HomeKit app. You can automate things in the individual device apps if you want to. Uh, maybe you even go out and have IFTTT automate things uh, to connect via, let's say, the Philips Hue API or stuff like that. Like, you can automate things on many multiple levels. So you don't necessarily have to look at just like, what does HomeKit allow me to do? And then determine everything around the capabilities of HomeKit. You can also just go a level higher and say, okay, well, what can IFTTT do? What can the individual apps do? And all of that stuff to actually like build a more comprehensive suite of automation if you're interested in that stuff and definitely like if our listeners are interested in hearing more about like workflows and routines and stuff you can actually build uh with these tools for home automation instead of like here are the gadgets you can spend money on uh we could definitely do an episode about that in the future definitely uh, i think we we could come up with some pretty smart ideas good if you want to find all the links that Yannick mentioned that he will put in the show note, you can find the show note for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 109, 109. If you want to go look at our back catalog episode, you can find it on limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the podcast and if you want to uh, follow all the news related to it, you can find the podcast on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast that's l-i-m-i-p-o underscore podcast if you want to follow me on twitter and see all the car related stuff that i like to tweet which is like one tweet every couple of blue moon yeah i was gonna I, say <laughs> you can follow me on twitter at luconush that's l-u-c-c-o-n-o-u-c-h-e also sometimes i tweet about apple stuff so if you've seen my past two topics were about programming so that's the type of stuff i tweet if you can want to send your question about home automation to yannick you can find him on twitter at at sakurina that's s-a-k-u-r-i-n-a and we'll see you in two weeks where we will be talking about battle royale game by the way i started to play to uh fortnite and i don't like it spoilers see you in two weeks see you in two weeks <laughs>